This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, I know that at the start of the new year, it can be tempting to try to completely reinvent ourselves. But this new year, I want to encourage you to start the year in a positive mindset and celebrate all the things you're already doing right. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that I'm a big advocate for therapy. I found that over the years, therapy has helped me to build the resilience that I've needed to navigate some of the trickier times in my life. But where do you begin? That's where BetterHelp comes in. They offer an entirely online service designed to be convenient and flexible. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time at no extra cost. So celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash Anna today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Anna. How can we make the change from lover to friend? Today's dilemma is all about that. It's from a woman called Corinne who's grappling with transitioning a romantic relationship to a platonic one. She's been in a heterosexual relationship with her husband for over a decade, but she recently came out as gay. Building a friendship with an ex is something that I have personal experience of, as does my guest today. So I have a feeling this one is going to be a special one. Welcome back to It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? My guest today is an accomplished all-rounder. She's a writer, actor, presenter and comedian with over 25 years' experience in showbiz. She's both a household name and a national treasure. It is, of course, Sue Perkins. Sue first landed on our screens in 1997 alongside her long-term comedy partner, Mel Gedroich. And since then, the pair have established themselves as one of Britain's favourite double acts. They've presented hundreds of hours of television together, including seven series of the smash hit The Great British Bake Off. Outside of her partnership with Mel, Sue is a star in her own right. She's the host of BBC Radio 4's iconic comedy panel show, Just a Minute, is a best-selling writer and has several travel documentaries under her belt as well. Here she is, everyone. It's Sue Perkins. Susan Elizabeth Perkins. Anna Claire Richardson, fifty-four years old. Wow! Straight off the bat, there. There's no, there's no lulling me in, is there? Oh well, no. And there's more coming. Oh, Intellectual no. titan, comedy genius, maestro, and national treasure is how some people may describe you. But I know you as maggot. How are you? I'm good, pupa. I'm good. <laughs> um, that was a really nice introduction. Thank you. I didn't write it. No, I didn't think so. It felt it felt dead coming out of your mouth. Do you know what I mean? Like I know. It been, like it had been arranged by somebody else and the act of you saying it made you feel a little unwell. It was a struggle. It's a nice gloss on what has been a very fortunate, lengthy career. Well, how long have you been in broadcasting now? Because it's quite some time. Does the self-pendativity that I did, uh, that I forced on my family aged seven count? In which case, over four decades. What did you play? 
all the parts. And also as well, I did at one point, there was a dream sequence where I sort of scrolled forward to the crucifixion. I mean, it was it was troubled, is what I will say. And I'm hoping that there's enough meat on the bone of this show that possibly that anecdote can get lost in the mix. There will be enough meat on the bone of this show because there's a lot to unpack in today's dilemma. It's from a woman who recently came out as gay to her husband and is looking for advice on how to transition their romantic relationship to a friendship. Now, I'm aware that this could have come from any number of people that you and I actually... Yeah, actually. It's, it's quite a lot of people I know, yeah. I could see your mind then rollerdexing through. Oh, God, it could is be it Sarah, it could be Claire, it could be Debbie. Could be... Yeah, yeah. But before we get into that, every week I ask my guests to bring in their very own It Can't Just Be Me dilemma, what have you got? So it can't just be me that finds the sound of an obese Staffordshire Bull Terrier in the dead of night comforting. And I don't believe I'm alone in that. I believe you'll have listeners who want, either want the dog on the bed or near the bed. When we first met yes. and you had Pickle and Parker, the Beagles, yeah, and we had a massive disagreement about whether or not they could be on the bed. Scroll forward several years when we adopted Piggy Tiggy, our obese Staffordshire Bull Terrier, and she was not only on the bed, in the bed yes. between us. Let's face it, we loved it. Yeah, but you've. This, what I love now is that is Anna's doing this. We love it. Tig now lives at mine, poos on the bed, poos on the carpet, poos where she wants, voms everywhere, and then wines, eats, eats every kind of feces, the b- buffet of countryside feces. Anna talks about our dog. <laughs> what I love, I read these articles, right? Anna's Sunday morning. Well, I love to start a Sunday. <laughs> Walking my rescue dog. I'm like, I'm, I'm reading that. I'm out in the driving rain. You are absolute cheek. Absent parent. Now listen, to yeah. help us out with today's dilemma, we are joined by the It Can't Just Be Me veteran psychotherapist, Super Sam Penelzenkolo. Um, I don't think you quite realise what you've let yourself in for today. I but don't think I have either. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Always, always a pleasure. Okay, let's crack on. Yeah. This dilemma is from... Corin. Hi Anna. My husband and I separated recently and we've got children and we've been together for 14, 15 years and the reason we separated is because I've come out as gay. We are really, really good friends, like amazingly good friends and it's really tricky when reading all marriage advice because Every part of our marriage is so good, except for the fact that I'm gay. And so that aspect of it doesn't work for us. And so we are planning to keep living together and to raise our children together for as long as that works for us both, um, because we do get on so well. But I'm really struggling with working out our boundaries with each other because we talk about everything. And then now that's really tricky because there are aspects of the separation and how we both feel that are quite painful and that we can't talk about. And I just feel like it can't just be me who's breaking up with somebody that they actually really love and then they're having to live together and work out a way forward. I just appreciate any advice. Thank you. So, I mean, Corin is dealing with some huge changes here. 
Sue, I'm interested. Can you identify with anything mm. in Karen's dilemma there? Because obviously, I could see you, you know, really thinking. I've, I was very emotionally captured by it. You know, you know what I'm like. I'm quite an emotion, mm. emotionally driven person, anyway. But I can hear in her voice the the sorrow and the heaviness of what she's experiencing, which is essentially a leave taking. Um, I can identify with it. I was in a very long relationship uh, with a guy when I was quite. I was young. I was very, very young. Seventeen. We started seeing each other. And that ended, not for lack of love, but both of us started to experience changes in the way we felt, you know, a need to become who we were going to be sexually. And it was an incredibly painful uh, shift for us because we were so close and you were together for for a few years yeah no six or seven years yeah and this is and i think this dilemma is a very good one to talk about because essentially what it's talking about is the fluidity of life and sexuality in in particular but it's still something that people don't really accept or understand and i remember i, I wrote a book uh, an autobiography and i mentioned this wonderful guy that I'd been with and three days after the publication he texted me going hey lovely just to let you know that there are a load of tabloid journalists outside my house and he lives in France Mm. and the reason they were there because somebody couldn't countenance that a woman they had pigeonholed as gay would have been desperate in love with a man and that's where I think kids now have got it really right there's an acceptance that it's a scale it's a spectrum there's there are margins for you know people to experience love but within that, within that exploration and the need to explore, of course, there's collateral damage and pain. And that's what I, I sensed was going on there. A hundred percent. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. And, you, you know, you mentioned the kids have got it right these days in terms of self-identifying. Mm. But let's talk about the children and, of course, Corinne's husband, Gareth. Just so you both know, we've spoken to Corinne to find out a little bit more about her situation. She told us that she's always identified as bisexual, but it's only recently that she's accepted that she's actually lesbian. Um, she also told us that she and her husband, Gareth, have six children together. So there's a lot of emotion and feelings at play here, including for Gareth and the kids. So, Sam, mm-hmm. as a mother and as a psychotherapist, what advice can you give about sharing those complex, life-altering changes with your children? This is very, very complicated because there isn't a simple answer. So if there's six children, how old are the children? And how much information do you want to share with your child slash children about your personal life? So that question varies from person to person. And it's the idea of, I would say, little and slowly, dependent on their age. And also the propensity and personality of the child. You know, some parents will talk to me about the 25-year-old child and say, I definitely can't talk to them about that. Other parents will talk about their 11-year-old child and say, actually, I think that, you know, it would work for them as a person. So I think it's slowly and carefully. But kids, I think, also know when there's something, of course, when there's something going on within their domestic environment where where it's their safety, isn't it, within the home? I mean, I, I know as a child of two separated parents, you know when there's something going on in the household. So with these children, they'll be detecting that, Mm. you know, mum and dad presumably Mm. no longer sleep together, that there are changes. So how do they, as parents, how do they navigate that so that they don't make their kids, I suppose, a bit anxious about Mm. there's something that's unspoken here? I mean, I would be as honest as something's going on for us 
but we love you. We care about you. Keep it about the children. Keep it about them. Because children tend to get anxious when they're worried that their safety in terms of their parents' mental, emotional health, if they feel like something's off, that just makes them feel worse. Yeah. So keep it about the children. Keep it about we're still here for you. We still love you. You know, and it's good for them to, to be able to start to navigate, I suppose, atmospheric changes. Mm. When, when children and adults sense something's off, yeah. how do we deal with that? And it's something we do have to learn to deal with. Sometimes it's not as easy as you get some information and then you can kind of process mm. that. So it's about, I think, keeping it about the children and their safety, their emotional safety. I th- that's fantastic advice because I think kids can become a little bit hypervigilant, can't they, when mm. they recognise that there's something going on with the house. We're not entirely sure what it is. Mm-hmm. So I love that advice. That it's, keep it about the kids. We love you. You know, nothing's changed here mm-hmm. for you. We're still both here for you yeah. is an important thing. But the volume, you know, there's a number of kids as well. You're absolutely right. Within that, there will be very, a, a very sensitive child or a child that's mm-hmm. much more sort of emotionally robust. So it's about finding the messaging that sort of brings all the children together within one sort of umbrella of everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Things are changing a little bit for us, but nothing changes in the way we feel about you and the fact we are a family. Uh, Because you were a very sensitive child, weren't you? Very sensitive. And you were very, very aware. And I've got to be a very sensitive adult. It's not not mitigated by life or age or any of those things. Yeah, my dad was very somatic. So, for example, if I hurt myself, I, was, I often fell over. You know, I was either reading something or, oh, look, there's a bird, and I'd just trip and fall and smash my face up. And he would put his hands over his head because the idea of me being hurt was so overwhelming. But I sense as well he felt it physically, and that made him oftentimes incapable of actually doing anything. So my mum was very much the pragmatic, practical caregiver. And as he got older and I got older, I, 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 I sort of parented him and I didn't tell him things because I, I wanted to protect him mm. from the pain that my suffering would cause him. Just coming back to Corin and Gareth for a second, is this a common theme, do you think, in terms of women coming to terms with their sexuality in midlife? And if so... Why? I'm really curious about this because obviously it happened to me. I know plenty of other women for whom this has happened over multiple generations. So I'm just wondering why. I mean, Sam, have you got any thoughts about this? I mean, this is an interesting one. And to Sue's point, it's this idea of now it's sort of not this thing that we're not allowed to talk about. It's still not as PC as we'd like, Mm. but it's now a bit more open. So it's that idea of it's not that this didn't exist before. We just didn't talk about it just wasn't allowed in a way so now it's a bit more freeing to be able to be like actually maybe I want to be with a woman maybe I want to be with a man maybe I want to be with no one and that that ability to be free there's a sense now with younger people that that's allowed whereas if you think about generations ago it just it wasn't an option so now more women will say actually I don't know how I feel I kind of thought I had to do this this idea of there wasn't a choice this mm. is just how it had to be. Yeah, you're married to yeah. a guy. That's it. Yeah. I think um, what I feel about Corinne's dilemma is that there's a time bomb. And I don't mean that in, in as negative connotation as, you know. I feel at the moment that couple, there's still a couple, there's parents, they're dealing with, I suspect, an abstract issue. There's no third wheel. Nobody's actually entered there is no relationship to move into, there's no other. And of course, when that does happen, 
and it may well. And, you know, of course, if that's something that Corin's looking for, then I very much hope it does. That immediately changes the dynamic. What, the third person? Yeah, because yeah. I think at the moment they're able to sustain their wonderful relationship, albeit, you know, a non-sexual one. They're able to sustain that as parents. But when love comes in, when attraction comes in, when sex comes in, that is going to be an explosive situation for A that very couple. difficult situation, I think. I mean, Corinne does say that they're both still really good friends mm-hmm. and that she still loves Gareth. Now, it can be very difficult. I know this. Sue, you and I both know this. It can be very difficult to take what was once an intimate relationship and transition to a friendship. So... Sam, if you had a client that was in your therapy room talking about this, you know, a woman in in midlife that's going, do you know what, I think maybe I'm gay, I don't want to have sex with my husband anymore, but I still really, really love him. Mm -hmm. And I think we're still friends. How do you go from the intimate to just the platonic? Again, it's really complicated. But as soon as somebody else is involved, that's when the boundaries tend to become a bit clearer. Because I would ask the question, are you able to talk to your partner about somebody that you're dating, attracted to, sleeping with? Is that okay? How do you feel about that? How do they feel about that? Mm. Most people feel deeply uncomfortable in the beginning. And I suppose if you're friends with someone, there are no shoulds or shouldn'ts. But if you're friends with someone, can you speak about those things? Is that an area of your life that you feel comfortable with? As soon as that happens, in my experience, that's when boundaries have been a bit more uh, firmed up. But, I mean, Sue, you and I were together for years and years. And, I mean, obviously we've had a few bumps along the road to actually being very, very good friends. But look, Just breathing through some of those bumps, yeah. But we have managed to do it. Yeah. We've managed to do it. And actually... And we can talk about partners and we can, you know, and and that's that's not an issue. How did we do it, though? How have we managed to get here? Because we didn't speak. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. So I just wonder whether you have to have sat what do you think with couples where it's do you just have to have that gap I think space is important doesn't mean you don't have to speak or see each other ever but that idea of having distance to be able to kind of figure stuff out on your own to sort of think well what do I how do I actually feel which is really difficult if when we're living in the same house as someone who we've been with for a long time that kind of time to think and breathe and just decide who am I now in a way doesn't really exist so it's not something that everybody has to do, but most people I've worked with said I've needed some time away, some space to recalibrate. Yeah. And then I can come back. But again, it is it, it works differently for different people, but I've not met anyone um, therapeutically that has been able to sort of live in the sp- same space, be in the same life in a way, and also move on. I'd agree. I think you, know, you, you have to sort of detonate parts of the familiar in order to grow new things, different ways of being, which are born out of friendship. And also, you have to forgive what's been. Mm. I mean, I remember uh, you saying, I mean, I can't remember how long ago, or maybe we'd gone to see somebody when things were difficult a long time ago, but don't do history lessons. Yeah. And I think once you get that space, the history lessons stop. And by history lessons, I mean, in a row, you go from talking about the the thing that's upsetting you in the moment to then tracking back over all the other things in your past that have been points of inflammation. So I think our break and 
split and then time apart and everything has has meant that we no longer do history lessons. Yeah, we can forgive and we can just go. It's all it's all okay. The, the forgiveness. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, Sam. How important is forgiveness when it comes to staying friends with your ex and being able to move into a friendship? Well, I think it's the idea of if we hold on to resentment. So if we haven't forgiven, and again, some people don't like that word because I'll say it sounds too kind of like they've given up in a way. It's an interesting word people sort of are supposed to think about. But if we're holding on to resentment, it's very hard to be friends with someone. Mm. How can we be friends with someone where we're we're holding on to something? Mm. So that idea of even letting go or moving through for yourself. Some people feel like forgiveness is letting someone off. Yes. Like I've let them off and now I'm a mug. You can't move on if you're holding on to that. Yeah. So how do you let go of that? And I think we all know so many people for whom that's true, yeah. isn't it? The idea that, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this because dot, dot, dot. I will mm-hmm. lose face. I will, mm-hmm. it will. And also, also, I can't forgive because then they'll be proved right or, mm-hmm. you know, I've lost that argument. It's like you're still in that space. You're still in that, you're still in battle and there's mm-hmm. no need for it, you know? I think... The pain that, you know, that that question throws up is is one that I've felt, we've all felt, you felt. But in time, once others have come in and once all that difficulty and pain has kind of moved past, they, all that love can be repurposed into a friendship. I really believe that. And I really believe these two will be able to brilliantly co-parent and to hold such affection for one another in perpetuity. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just going to go back a little bit, just because I'm, I'm interested to hear it from you. But how did we get it right then, do you think? In terms of friendship? Yeah, in terms of where we are now. I think a period of, of, of having no contact was very good. And then I think slowly voicing the things that had been excruciatingly painful and realising that they were never going to be solved and so let them go. If, if you hold on to those things that made you sad, that made you angry, that, that made us intractable, all we're going to do is replicate that, but in a non-sexual context. So I think both of us in our own way let stuff go. It helps, of course, that other things come in, the other distractions. But yeah, I think that's what it was. It was forgiveness and, and it was wanting to, do, to get back to the fun and the lightness, you know. Definitely. So, I mean, that's certainly what I missed is obviously love, but also the fun. And I think that when you've got that with somebody, when you go, do you know what? Fuck it. Let's just let go of all that shit. Ultimately, our very core is love and really good fun. And we understand each other. And I think that what I'm getting from Corin and Gareth is the same. Here are two people who fundamentally really get each other, really love each other. And maybe that's what's so difficult for Corinne at the moment Mm. with how am I going to let this go as and when I meet somebody else so there's a loss there in a way definitely Mm. and it's something that people talk about in couples therapy a lot this idea and there are some people that choose to be in sexless relationships there Mm. are some people that choose to do that because they have such a connection with the person that they're with that the that other side in a way they decide actually I can deal with and so it's the idea of what type of a relationship do you want to be in? You get to choose, as long as obviously your partner agrees. But it sounds so painful if everything else is going right, all the communication. Mm. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just if the, the dilemma was I, I love my husband, but there's another man 
there's a bit of glimmer of excitement. That's a very different dilemma to I am now dealing with the fact that I've moved from feeling bisexual to I'm a gay woman. But it is really about a question of identity Mm -hmm. and those things can be... You know, I, I remember being... 20, I don't know, 23, 22, 23. And I'd had a, you know, a very blissful time with my boyfriend and then we split up because of, you know, feelings and weird stuff. And and I did a show and there was a really fun, brilliant woman on this show and we hung out loads. We had loads of fun and then I stopped sleeping and I couldn't sleep. I'm like, why can't I sleep? And then another friend of mine on the show just went, you're in love. And I just threw up. I just threw up because I was so divorced from what was going on. I come from a different time, obviously. It was felt very onerous to come out, although my parents were brilliant. But I felt very scared because I didn't know anybody gay and it wasn't a very welcoming mm. profession, wasn't very welcoming at the time. So I, I think it's it's it can be quite, it, it's a big thing. It's quite traumatic. You know, it's not just I'm going to hop into bed with somebody. It's like I have to now redefine and recalibrate who mm. I am. And that doesn't happen just going forward. It also, I think, happens. You look back on your life and mm. missed moments, free sight. But yeah. Well, I had this, if you, if you remember when I was living with Charles. So, you know, I'd been with him for nearly 20 years. And then, you know, clearly there were issues towards the end. But then when I met you, I had exactly that of the recalibration of, oh, hang on a second, I've met somebody that oh, okay, I'm falling in love with. This is this is new. This is a challenge. And you're absolutely... That's what <laughs> she's a challenge. That's what they all say. Um, Real but, challenge. But you know, and, and it's a challenge not just for me, but clearly for him. And I have to show him huge respect here because mm. he was actually very decent yeah. to us both. It's a um, challenge for our families and friends. It's a recalibration. But just bringing it back again to Corinne and, and Gareth, they're separated but living together, co-parenting for their six kids. How should they both draw up the new boundaries, do you think, Sam? Because that's tough within the the same house. It's very difficult, particularly when there are children involved, because I suppose you have to decide what your boundaries are, and often they're not the same as your ex-partners, and they change. So your boundaries aren't set in stone and that's it forever. It's like, okay, let's look at what works for us now. And then that has to be up for negotiation and discussion because it will change. So once one person falls into, I'm comfortable with this boundary, invariably the other person will be like, actually, I'm not now. And that is an ongoing process. Okay, look, we've talked around this a lot, um, but I think it would be helpful to just... (laughs) Too much by the sounds of it. Good, she doesn't mess around, does she? (laughs) Thank you, Susan. But what should Corinne's immediate next steps be, do you think, Sam? I suppose it's the idea of identity that's come up. Who does she think she is? Who does she want to be? And trying to give yourself a bit of space for that, which a lot of the time we don't have. We're busy going to work, sorting the kids out, doing this. It's like, where is the space? So just take some moments, which sounds a bit woo-woo, but that idea of just sitting with it for a bit Mm. and just giving yourself some space and some time and hopefully talking with friends, keeping that network going so that she doesn't feel isolated. I was going to say, how can she help herself emotionally as Mm. well in this situation? Because I can only imagine that being in the same household as your husband and kids where actually your identity's changed, your Mm. love is changing, that that is quite scary and, Mm -hmm. you know, anxiety making. So how can she protect herself emotionally? Definitely talking to people, finding people that she trusts to talk it through. If there's things, as she said, I can't talk about. Yeah. 
with my ex-partner, find somebody that you can safely trust and, and share that information. Again, so because again, isolation, being lonely, feeling alone, those are the things that people always talk about. I've got no one to talk this through with. No one's going to understand me. So that idea of feeling safe having a network, just one person that you can talk with, that space and time is invaluable. And presumably this is the same for Gareth. How can Gareth adjust to this new reality? I mean, what would you suggest, Sue? I think don't pretend it's not painful. I think just because, because they love each other, it'd be very easy for them to just go, oh, everything's the same as normal. It mm. isn't. Mm. It isn't. There's this quiet but incredibly potent thing has been activated and its effects will certainly in the short term be probably quite slowly creep into being something quite big I think not to feel not to feel shame actually I know Mm. that sounds weird I'm going to say it though I think for some men it can be quite emasculating to think that they're not being chosen that they're being I mean, some men find it a liberation, actually. They don't have to worry about, you know, sizing up to another yeah, guy. It's not, it's not, not, not yeah, another good. bloke, it's It wasn't woman. me then. It wasn't me yeah. then. They're just the way they are. Yeah. But, you know, I think possibly, and again, I can't speak for him, but he might be sort of feeling, oh, God, was it all a lie? Mm. Was it all a lie? Did you, all along, did you, did you feel like this? Was I just there to give you kids? And I think just reassurance, really, that, you know, day to day we're changing but but in every moment of their marriage she has loved him and been present and she's not been hiding she's simply now got to the point of evolution i think sometimes we just don't you know because everything's so gendered women are so emotional emotional and hysterical and men are just sort of monoliths and they don't feel anything it's just such bullshit you know allow him to be sad allow him to feel pain in the same way that she probably feels guilty or she feels lots of difficult emotions at play but Sam says just day by day, touch base, see how you feel. I always feel for people in that situation because love is being altered and it's nobody's fault. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I, I always come back to me and Richard, you know, it just, it broke my heart. I haven't cried like that ever, I don't think, when I was a baby. But you're right, it's nobody's fault. It's, it's nobody's just that fault. this has shifted. This has shifted. Sue. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. Thank you for your honesty and expertise on this one. And if anybody listening has some advice for Corinne and Gareth as well, then please let us know. The team has read every single email and listened to every voice note that you send in. And we really do value you sharing your thoughts and stories. We're all in this together. So drop us a line. Now, as Sam knows all too well, not done with you yet because I have a final quick fire dilemma to put to you both. And you're going to recognise this one, Snoops. Are you ready? Yeah. OK, this one is from Alice and it's all about how to share time and space with a partner in the evening. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who finds it hard to strike a balance between what my partner and I both want in terms of noise in the evenings. When it gets to about nine o'clock, I enjoy listening to a podcast while I faff around in the kitchen. But my partner thinks of that as wind down time, so likes to have peace and quiet. I know I could wear headphones, but that makes it feel too much like we're separated somehow and I like being able to share things with her. We both think we have a right to do what we want in the evening, so how do we solve this? Thanks. Yeah. So I imagine a lot of couples are going to relate to this dilemma. (laughs) Sharing their space, which I don't think you and I did fantastically well. I wouldn't say say it was a strong point. (laughs) I wouldn't say cohabitation was a strong point of ours. Um, what was my most annoying habit when we lived together? How long's the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> right, 
Anna has this weird thing that she does where she just comes into a room or even an entire house and knows that something's been moved. Oh, yeah. So she gets like the misery. sense. Yeah, the sense that something's been moved, but then has to hunt through. So if we went away, and then an hour would be spent when we came back going, something's different, something's different. Do you know what's happened to that 14th pair of black trousers that I have hanging there? And it's like, why can't you just relax? Um, I'm very messy, so I would just create chaos and Anna would clear it up and then I'd create chaos again. Tripping over her pants in the, in the bathroom. Everywhere. Odd socks. I leave them every, pants I mean, everywhere. Just an explosion of pants. But also, I, I'm a very creative cook, so I'll go, I, I, tonight, I want a sort of a Syrian-Greek fusion and I've bought all these ingredients and I'm just going to explode them in a pan. And that just about sums up... What was the dilemma again? I have got a thing about the dilemma. I can answer that. What would you suggest to Alice and her partner about how they share time in the evening in terms of noise levels? Do they have the money to install either A, a soundproof booth like a Mr and Mrs, or B, a panic room? Um, I sort of feel there's this pressure on couples to have a whole evening together. Mm. There might be just moments in the evening where you intersect. I like to sit on my bum and watch television endlessly. But I think... Give yourselves a break. I think, you know, there's no law that says from 7 till 11 or whatever, you have to be kind of wedded to one another. I think do your own thing, but maybe have a thing that you come together and do, whether it's a meal or whether it's EastEnders or whatever. What do you think? You're qualified. Yeah, Sam, you, you, I'm just a book. You will have heard this a lot in therapy. So give us your <laughs> expertise here. I suppose, again, it's this idea that, you know, you come home from work and you've got to sit together all night or be together. Yeah. And actually, I would say, do you? Do you even want to? Maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to sit by yourself. Actually, she is most, married. Most people will say, I just need some time for myself and by myself. And that's a, that's a big reality that people don't want to talk about. And that's fine. You don't need to spend all this time with your partner again, because it's quality versus quantity. And I would say, OK, if you're both sat watching a TV show that both of you don't actually want to watch because you'd rather be separate doing your own thing, it's better to be separate doing your own thing. We call it in therapy connection points. You come in, you kiss them hello, you give that's it. You don't, you don't necessarily have to have a whole night together. So that idea of if you're squabbling about who's got their, you know, listening to the, the, the radio and one person watched to watch TV, that's not quality time either. That just breeds agitation and irritation. Oh. So I would actually say it's about how much time do you need to spend on your own? How much time have you actually spent by yourself and kind of maybe I just need to be by myself and then I can be with you. And so, and you're right to say we are not good at saying that, are we, to our other halves? Going, do you know what? I just need a couple of hours doing nothing. Just leave me alone for a bit. I'm not ignoring you. Yeah. I just need time with me. Yeah. Okay. It feels as though there's a tension between Alice and her other half, mm-hmm. isn't there, about sort of ownership or you're doing something wrong or something that's irritating me, rather than just owning the fact mm. for each of them that I just need some time to myself for Mm -hmm. a bit. And if that is listening to a podcast, we both need to respect that in each other. Mm -hmm. I think there's a pressure, isn't there, on, well, you know, you don't see each other all day. And so there's a sort of weird pressure that you have to therefore be very present in the evenings. But you're right, you do need a bit of decompression time. That's what weekends are for. Go nuts. Do you know what? Chill out would be my advice in the weekdays and go absolutely nuts at the weekend. Make sure you plan really cool things that you both like. Go away, have some fun, have some excitement, have some new experiences and don't sweat the, you know, the small stuff. That's true. Sometimes I want to watch a, listen to a very intense podcast about the East India Company. That's not for everyone. I understand that now. It wasn't. And that's what therapy's done for me, Sam. <laughs> Susan Perkins, Sam Pennells and Colo. 
This is an episode that I don't think anyone's going to forget <laughs> in a hurry. Thank you both so much for coming onto the podcast today and being so generous with your time and advice and also for being so personal. Appreciate that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I'll be doing that to somebody on the bus later. <laughs> you know what I'm like. I've got no boundaries, Sam. <laughs> we'll work on it. In the meantime, I'll be back next week with another guest sharing their honest unfiltered Have I been sacked? Am I not coming back next week? That's rude. What a way to find out. Over the coming weeks, we'll be discussing the reality of caring for parents as they grow older, as well as answering some more of your questions on the menopause. But we can't do it without you. So please get in touch. You can leave me a voice note at itcantjustbeme.co.uk or you can email itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. And if having this podcast beamed into your ears once a week isn't enough, remember you can watch the full video episodes on YouTube and you can also find us on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. Just search for It Can't Just Be Me. Because remember, whatever you're dealing with, I promise it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producers are Laura Williams and Christy Calloway-Gale. The editor is Kit Nilsson. And the executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. The executive producer for Mags is James Norman Fife. Don't forget to follow the show or for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. 